Welcome to Every A24 Movie on Blu-ray, the podcast formerly known as Every Horror Movie on Netflix. <laughs> I am Chris, here with Patrick. Hello. And Steven. Hi. And we are gathered here today to discuss Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse, starring William Defoe and Robert William Pattinson. Defoe. <laughs> William Defoe. <laughs> William Defoe. <laughs> <laughs> Willem, damn it! I was at and Roberto I, I, Pattinson. I almost said William Pattinson, and I was like, "That's not right." Got to pivot to Defoe, but I forgot that I had to pivot off of William as well. well we're leaving that in because, listeners, we've had some false starts here today, and we've had so many one. false starts. We this is this has been. I'm descending into madness. As we, we have just long set COVID. Yeah. yeah, but um. Anyway, as usual, to, to provide some level of normalcy uh, before we talk about A24 movies on the Netflix show, uh, we're, we like to talk about what else we've been consuming in the horror world, what else we've been reading, watching, etc. Um, so what have you guys been doing? I've been ramping up my horror movie watching a little bit as I usually do right around end of August or beginning of September. Uh, we reconvened our spooky movie club recently and watched the original Nosferatu, which is still just fucking as creepy as ever. I wouldn't recommend necessarily watching whatever version of it is on Tubi, which we watched and has kind of a whack soundtrack to it. There's that movie is a hundred years old. A hundred and one years old. Yeah, dude. That's Happy 100th fucking birthday, crazy. Nosferatu. And it's Thanks still unsettling as fuck. Still unsettling. But yeah, don't listen to the... Someone in our group described a, kind of a weird vocal part that was very unnecessarily added to the soundtrack as proto-Enya, which I think was uh, appropriate for the vocal. The vocal itself certainly was not appropriate for the movie. But yeah, go watch Nosferatu. It's a fucking classic. Um, also revisited Army of Darkness, which I've been wanting to do for a while. And, and you know, that's it's still fun. Evil Dead 2 is still my favorite of that trilogy. But uh, Army of Darkness is a stupid good time. Evil Dead 2 is the best still. Yeah. Oh, it's so nothing good. tops yeah. that. No, absolutely not. It's like, yeah, they found the exact sweet spot of like horror and comedy and effects in Evil Dead 2. Like Evil Dead 1's too serious army of darkness is a little too stupid um and evil dead 2 is just just perfect to say nothing of evil dead rise yeah evil dead rise was fun i, I still nothing beats the tone of the originals it just feels like a such a almost a mm, futile mission to try and follow up those movies because they're such idiosyncratic products of the Raimis and their their specific sense of humor but uh yeah evil dead rise was decent what about you guys? What have you been watching or reading or whatever lately? I watched, and I saw this when I was a kid, but I watched the 1999 The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Hell oh, wow. Yeah. And you know what? I try to be cool on this show. I try to be macho on this show. That movie's <laughs> fucking scary, man. That movie's fucking scary. I was, I was scared. That movie fucking rolls. Are you going to get one of those bumper stickers? Do you know what I'm talking about? The one that says, show me the mummy. 
No, no, the one that's like I'd rather be watching the 1990 whatever Brendan yeah, Fraser it's, it's, classic, The Mummy. Yeah, it's Honk if you'd rather be watching the 1999 oh, yeah. cinematic masterpiece, The Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz. There you go. That's your uh, that's your birth, that's your Christmas present this year, Chris. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was fine. You know, it's it's a it's a fine movie. Uh, you know, either I think you either are a nostalgic super fan of that movie. Or you're not. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> oh, you're not? Yeah. You just said it was scary. I did say it was scary. Well, the, the mummy was scarier than I expected. Because I was like, oh. Oh, so you I, didn't enjoy the movie. I did not enjoy the movie. But oh, what are you talking like, about? <laughs> yeah, what? I, I, <laughs> here's the thing. What, what's I, your review? View it, view it, or screw it. <laughs> when I watched this movie as a child, I wanted I wanted something that was scary because I liked all the Universal monsters, and I was okay. like, so I just didn't connect to any of the adventure shenanigans or even the tone it was taken with the mummy. Uh, and then watching it as an adult, I was like, all right, I remember how I felt as a child. I'm going to try to meet this on its terms. It's an adventure movie. And it works a lot better, obviously, as an adventure movie. But then I was surprised. I was like, you know what? The Mummy, at least as scary as The Mummy from the 30s, I would say. But you don't consider yourself a fan. It no. still sounds like you like the movie. Oh, okay. It was fine. I mean, it was, it was fine. It's just, it's, it's like, I, I would never be someone who like decorates my car with The Mummy stuff. Oh, Okay. I, I didn't grow up with it as I didn't grow up with many things that happened when I was growing up. There are and guns. I, there are a lot of guns in that movie. Uh-huh. I I watched it for the first time a year or two ago, and I I would also call it fine. I don't know. I, I yeah, I think it's one of those things where you had to be there. Yeah, but, I saw but, it opening but, night and I fucking loved it and I still love it. But I, oh, nice. I acknowledge I acknowledge that that is pure nostalgia. Well, like, here's the thing. It? There's something to be said for nostalgia because they don't make movies like this anymore. Mm-mm. And it's kind of cool to just see like a little genre movie where it's like, oh, look, there's a bunch of Chris, horses. Come on. They literally remade the mummy just a few years ago. You can't say they don't make movies like <laughs> I that haven't anymore. Seen, I haven't that was seen a great film. No, I haven't seen it either. And I want to, awful. though. I'm, I'm trolling. Yeah. But. Anyway, like it's cool to see like some stunts there and like Brendan Fraser sets so many people on fire in that movie and every time it's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, that's the mummy. Steven, how about you? You watch anything recently? You know, I'm still holding on to summer, guys. It looks fall as fuck outside right now, but I'm going to start ramping up the horror watching. I have kind of a convoluted recommendation, though, I'm realizing. Uh, I watched something on a big streamer, a documentary series that I really loved over the weekend, and I'm not going to promote it unless you, want to talk to me, <laughs> unless you want to talk to me privately. But it reminded me in a very interesting way of a little documentary movie from, I think, the same year The Mummy came out, 1999, uh, called American Movie. And this is about uh, two kind of fuck ups in Wisconsin who decide that they're going to pull all their resources together and make a horror film called Coven, which is spelled and should be pronounced Coven, like the Coven of Witches, but they get it wrong and they commit to it, even though they're corrected multiple times. But first they have to make a, a, sh- uh, uh, a short film to, to like 
get that distributed and finance it. And these guys have gone, one of them's dead now, Mike Shank, unfortunately. I think he passed last year. But it's it's a really funny movie about the creative spirit and how like it can it can it can survive even the worst circumstances if an artist is truly committed, even if that artist is kind of dumb <laughs> and doesn't have any talent whatsoever. And I was thinking, gosh, I never would have thought to recommend a, a documentary for like spooky movie season, but I think it's absolutely perfect. It's got big fall energy. Like I said, they are making a horror movie about witches, and I think it would be a great like double bill with something like the WNUF Halloween special, maybe, if you want a dose of reality and then you know fake reality filtered through nostalgia. It could be a badass double feature. So that's my convoluted recommendation based on something I watched on one of the bigger streamers. Ask me about it uh, on the Discord, maybe. Hmm. All right, well... Time to get down to business and brass tacks. We watched, like I said, The Lighthouse, which I had never seen before. Had you guys seen this before? Yeah. Oh, yeah, baby. Saw it in theater. You saw it in theater. In theater. In a cinema. (laughs) I can't remember if I saw it in a theater, but I know I saw it when it came out and it left a strong impression on me. Not strong enough to remember the venue I saw it in, but Chris, I take it you had not seen it. I had not seen it. I've had the Blu-ray for years, never got around to it, was always curious about it. This is a perfect opportunity to force myself to watch it. Uh, The Lighthouse for the Uninitiated is uh, by Robert Eggers, like we said, who is the director of The Witch and more recently The Northmen, Uh, well known for making movies where you can't understand what the fuck anybody is saying. Uh, I I did refuse to put the subtitles on though. I put the subtitles Good. on for I put the subtitles on for one segment at the beginning, and then I was like, "This ruins the vibe. I can't have these bright white letters on the screen. You can't. You no. can't. What? Oh, you can. I put subtitles on everything. I'm one of those motherfuckers that the uh, Atlantic just wrote a thank piece about. Oh, that's crazy. We'll have to talk about that because I feel like you're not supposed to understand every word in his movies. Yeah, you know, I you're agree. like looking into the past. You're like an alien that's like visiting the past, and you just kind of got to go with the flow and pick up what you can. I think it's yeah. more interesting that way. I, I just turn subtitles on for literally anything. It doesn't matter how discernible or not it is. It's just just habit. Yeah, no, it's it legit. People do that. I'm not going to uh, shame it, but for this movie, I like to read my movies. Anyway, it's a very deceptively simple story. There's a lot going on. Um, in the abstract layer of this movie, but what is tangible is Robert Pattinson plays a young man who is a new lighthouse keeper somewhere on the Atlantic. And the only other person who's taking care of the Island with the lighthouse is Willem Dafoe, who's the grizzled, more seasoned lighthouse keeper. And Mm -hmm. the two are going to be locked in the lighthouse. I mean, if you know anything about this movie, you probably know this already. The two are going to be locked in the lighthouse keeper station for four weeks uh, to take care of the lamp, take care of the property and then hopefully they'll be relieved at the end of their term. Uh, and in the space of those four weeks, there's a lot of personality clashing. There's a lot of weird <laughs> stuff happening. There's a lot of development in the relationship between the two men. And it goes into some very unexpected places, to say the least. Oh, yeah. It's like 
it's probably the most accurate depiction of the three of us going to New Orleans together that I've ever seen. Hasn't <laughs> Which hasn't happened, happened yet. <laughs> hasn't happened yet, but man, I can already tell. <laughs> Spitting image. <laughs> yeah, yes. let's not set that um, set that <laughs> template for that trip. <laughs> I'm down. That sounds great. <laughs> Where to begin? How, you how to you wanna you wanna see entrails on that trip, huh, Steven? It'd be nice. Oh <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, where to begin? I a fucking uh, Pattinson plays an ostensible straight man for <laughs> a few minutes of this movie. He's the uh he's the one who's trying to play by the book, and Defoe is the the crazy ass from Square One, the sort of uh dotty old man. Um, very strong authority figure um, trying to kind of swing his dick around and exercise his authority over Pattinson. They're both remi- amazing performances. They are. They, it kind of reminded me of, at the beginning of training day. Mm, yeah. Especially when like they sit down for dinner and Willem Dafoe's like, here, drink this shit. And, and, yeah. and Pattinson's like, no, drinking isn't allowed under the regulations. And he's like, oh, <laughs> you're going to drink this shit, though. <laughs> oh, that's like, one of my favorite lines, too, is uh, man, what don't drink best have his reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure I've ever seen so much alcohol consumed in a movie, or at least certainly not per capita. I'm not sure I've ever seen so much alcohol consumed per person in a film. But in reality, different story. <laughs> well yeah like when we went to new orleans <laughs> oh i love speaking of swinging his dick around defoe's introduction is him taking the longest piss i think i've ever seen in film or otherwise and then just <laughs> ripping a couple of farts oh yeah he, there's a lot himself. of there's a lot of willem to farts in this movie <laughs> oh uh, but yeah, the performances. I mean, that's where that's where this movie begins and ends for me. The uh-huh. performances are are out of this world, slam dunk home runs. It's I think another example of how uh, the award givers in our society are prejudiced against weird movies and horror movies because if this was the same movie, but it was about like two men mourning the loss of their father in a funeral parlor and not locked on island with weird shit this would have gotten all sorts of awards for these two uh some of the finest acting i've ever seen and incredibly watchable yeah it's amazing i mean especially pattinson i mean who i'll even give credit in the fucking twilight movies as you as you all know if you've heard our twilight episode i uh i cut that one a lot of slack and especially him and case do a lot of slack but he still always just kind of surprises me um he's along the lines of like uh honestly like colin farrell like we were talking about last time where he's easy to underestimate for me because he has that pretty boy look and that pretty boy reputation then it's always like oh fuck no this guy can act like i mean his his accent work in this alone is fucking phenomenal and he's not afraid to look haggard as hell too you know to really sink into a role i thought of that exactly i was like he looks at least 10 to 15 years older than Uh he actually does in this movie which i'm sure some of it's makeup but i think a lot of it's just the way he carries himself and the sense of uh yeah, just a person who has lived a a young person, relatively, who has lived a very hard life at this point. But he's phenomenal. Defoe is just 
going for broke. <laughs> he is going movie. for broke. <laughs> it's probably my favorite Defoe performance, and I cannot imagine him topping it. I mean, he just hits he hits all the notes as as loudly as he possibly can, and I just I ate it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, it's a it's ostensibly an over the top performance, but also, you know, like there is like a sense of sort of dynamics to it. Like he there's a lot of screaming for sure. He does a lot of yelling, but also like just his sense of kind of like dialing it back and the way he'll build up from kind of like just a whisper up to just screaming, ranting about some shit is spellbinding to watch. Mm -hmm. And there are scenes where he kind of. There are scenes where he's on the other end of the verbal abuse and he he mm-hmm. takes on this kind of almost like charmingly cowardly persona in a couple of scenes in this from like, mm. oh, okay, maybe I maybe I could actually like this guy. Maybe mm-hmm. for just a second. He yeah. kind of needs a hug right now. And then he goes right back to being a demonic piece of shit. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, th- that's, I don't even know if he's ever a demonic piece of shit. That's the most interesting thing about the movie and sort of what makes it so watchable, at least through the first half or something, because out of the gate, he's kind of a very archetypical disciplinarian, hard ass, etc. He's really busting Robert Pattinson's chops and how often he has to scrub the floors, etc. And you, you, you don't like him at all. And then as the movie goes on, the man, it's a very complicated relationship. You can't tell if they hate each other or they love each other. And I don't feel, I don't, I feel the same way. I'm like, I don't think I like Willem Dafoe, but man, I, I kind of want him to like me. He's kind of, you know, he's kind of cool. Um, and, and just kind of walking that line is something that the movie does for most of its runtime that makes it pretty compelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's nothing else. I mean, yeah, there's, there's uh, a pretty gorgeous uh, setting. Well, it's, it's austere, but it's gorgeous in its own way. This rocky Island, tiny Island with this one lighthouse and a couple of buildings. And there's not a lot else going on in this movie besides these two performances is what I'm trying to say. The cinematography is really good. There's some, some, there's some it's weird beautiful. things that happen, but I mean, this, this, if you did this movie black box theater style, I don't know how much it would lose. It would work as a play for sure. Yeah. I mean, you would you would lose some beautiful surreal imagery and some beautiful unsettling use of montage, but yes. it would certainly work as a play. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you could carry the sound design over probably to a play. Mm-hmm. I think and that plays a pretty huge role in this too. Mhm. Mhm. But yeah, it's basically two actors, two characters and one location with I mean a, a few little caveats to that rule, but it's Pretty simple bottle episode that just cooks and cooks and cooks and cooks <laughs> as these guys go further around the fucking bend. Mm-hmm. Steven and I were talking last night about, you know, there's kind of interesting conversation around the genre of this film. I think a lot of reviews have kind of grappled with what is it? Is it a thriller? Is it a psychological yeah. drama? Mm-hmm. Is it horror? You know, whatever answer, I think all of the above. But one of the most important ones that I, I don't think people necessarily have pointed out so much in discussion of this movie is it's fucking funny. And it's the hilarious. first time, yeah, the first time that I saw it, there was stuff I was saying this to you and there's stuff that I like 
reacted to by laughing and I felt like it was that sort of nervous laughter like I can't believe what I'm fucking seeing right now but on this second watch I was like oh no there's lots of stuff in here mm-hmm. that like they had to have known while they were shooting this is this is funny this is going to play funny like we're making some degree of a comedy in this scene it's got some I mean you know of course it's A24 and it is a movie that I believe they financed like Bo is afraid and it's got some Bo is afraid energy to it where I was starting to hear people talk about this movie on podcasts and stuff industry podcasts before it came out and I was thinking like what the fuck Robert Eggers new like historical you know whatever it is has a ton of fart jokes in it like that doesn't (laughs) sound real to me Um, and and it is and he's reveling in it I mean and there's a lot of you know <laughs> the the lighthouse itself is a phallic symbol and apparently there was a shot in this where the, <laughs> there was a, a quick cut to an erect penis and then a cut back to the lighthouse you know it's it's pretty obvious what he's doing with that sort of imagery and it sounds it sounded juvenile to me and i was a little nervous going into this the first time and yet it 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 works somehow didn't expect you know dick and fart jokes from the director of the witch but he gives <laughs> us that and so much more that that stuff isn't distracting or glaring in some way. Yeah. And even, you know, I don't know the, the fart stuff. I don't even know how necessary it is. I I don't even know if I can call it a fart joke, but the stuff I think of as is funny is just kind of like the rhythm of the dialogue. Sometimes it goes so over the top and the timing of their responses and tone of responses to each other is just I, I think of like the one scene where Defoe is losing his mind because Pattinson has copped to disliking Defoe's cooking, and Defoe goes on this uh, mm-hmm. delightful rant, including you know the I think the iconic line from this movie at at this point is "You're fond of me lobster, aren't ye?" Yeah. And like he just goes on this rant, and finally like Pattinson just gives in at the end after this well played pause and goes fine, I like your cooking. And <laughs> that that was one of those moments. And there are others like that where just kind of the timing, the rhythm of it really got me. Oh, it's so good. I just made this connection. I'll have to read and I would bet that this could have been an influence. And I know I've brought this up on the show before. Have you guys heard of Shut Up Little Man? No. It's familiar. I don't it's know a seri- there's a documentary about it. It, it was a series of like, you know, back before, obviously long before the internet, like 80s, early 90s, um, when people would trade tapes around of, of like quote unquote viral stuff, there were these guys in, I think, San Francisco that had this gay, older gay alcoholic couple who live below them. And these people caused such a ruckus that they decided they had no moral qualms about recording their arguments by sticking a tape recorder out the window and hanging it down. And Oh my God, I'll have to, I'll have to share some clips uh, of this on the discord for people who haven't heard it, but this is like, like the 19th century version of that, of just two people being stuck (laughs) in a room, blasted out of their minds, driving each other so crazy that their insults are like poetry. (laughs) Wow. Huh. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I mean, we, we slowly learn a bit more about these guys as things go along. Like Robert Pattinson definitely has a dark past that he's clearly trying to hide from by working on this lighthouse and we're, you know, kind of given a few hints about that as we go along. Uh, Defoe is the veteran on the Island and there's 
clearly some dark things that have happened in the past on the island as well. So we get some kind of plot breadcrumbs on that level. We also have uh, some unsettling stuff going on with seagulls. Certainly, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I'm going to say move over Hitchcock, most unsettling use of seagulls or, or birds in general, I think in a film the fucking seagulls in this are but i mean they're also funny they're also funny (laughs) yeah yeah oh my god the seagull stuff is just chef's kiss like awards should have been given yeah these fucking seagulls are just badgering pattinson as he tries to go about his work doing all this like sort of drudgery that defoe has assigned him on the island he's just dogged by this one-eyed seagull um who Defoe like threatens him, don't kill the fucking seagull because mm-hmm. bad things will happen if you kill a seabird. And Pattinson eventually snaps in a horrifying fucking scene and just beats yeah. the absolute shit out of this bird in one very unsettling shot. And uh, that's kind of the catalyst for things really starting to go downhill. I rem- I did recall that moment from the first time I saw this when I revisited it. And my jaw was on the floor still the second yeah. time. The number of times that he whips that seagull against the water tank or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The cistern, yeah. The cistern, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, deeply, deeply unsettling stuff, masterfully done. Yeah, just the force and brutality with which he does it, too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's all, you know, I'm sure he's just holding a fucking rag with feathers attached to it because it's whipping back and forth so fast you can't tell what it is like obviously no seagulls were harmed in the making of this motion picture but it's still very very upsetting mm-hmm. so i don't know how much we can get into into uh before we go to the spoiler room but i kind of felt like karma caught up to me on this movie because last episode <laughs> i was talking about how you know i'm i'm a sophisticated person now and i like watching movies that are poetic and don't make a lot of literal sense and how that's my new thing and then this movie kind of came <laughs> along like oh you you think you're that guy now here it broke you and and maybe I'm not as much of that guy as I thought because apart from the the plot, it's not a super plotty movie. There's just so much symbolism and myth and abstract stuff and surreal stuff in this movie that it's it becomes a bit of a chore to try to figure out what the hell is going on if you if you if you fight it and if you don't just, it, it, I, yeah. I guess I was fighting it. I, I, it was hard for me to just kind of lean into it and be like, all right, this is just all vibes. Um, don't care too much about what's, what's going on. Cause it's like, a, you know, it's like a bot, like, like Patrick said, it's a little like bottle episode. We got these pretty interesting characters in a very clearly defined situation. And then when you start making their relationship, and their relationship to everything around them very nebulous. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I kind of check out a little bit. So the the back half of this movie didn't quite do it for me, and I'm not sure what it all meant. So that's a little frustrating for me. How did you well, guys so feel? I, I guess so. I I can relate to that. I think to some degree. On my first watch, I was like 
I appreciated the audacity of it. I appreciated the craft as far as performances and the visuals. But I also was a little bit like, okay, what did that all mean? Especially coming off The Witch, a movie which I think all of us love, that is Uh pretty clear, I think, in the end, as far as what it's trying to say, what its themes are. But this time around, I think just because I was better prepared for what I was getting into, I was just surfing on the vibes. I mean, I enjoyed it in the first first time around, but I enjoyed it even more this time. I think it's interesting that you kind of brought up, you know, Chris, what, what does it all mean? And Eggers has actually addressed this, and I thought it was interesting. He said with this movie, he's he was more interested in questions than answers. Um, yeah. And you know, I don't I don't think there necessarily is an answer to this. It's a it's a vibes movie. It was inspired by a horrifying real life incident. I don't know if you guys have read about that. Yeah. At all. Um, but you know, I think he just saw an interesting situation and kind of built a fucked up movie around it. Um. Steven, what are your thoughts on Chris's prompt? You know, so I'm once again having fucked up audio issues that the the uh, listeners may or may not be able to detect depending on how they're listening and how much they're paying attention. And, and I was thinking going into this, you know what? That's okay because I've seen this twice and I don't have anything smart to say about it. I only have superlatives. Both times I watched this movie, I had a fucking blast. <laughs> I have I I did not care that I didn't have any kind of big, you know, cathartic um, meaningful takeaway from it. I read a little bit online trying to see, you know, where Edgar's head was at. And yeah, he's talking about, you know, Greek mythology and Poe. Apparently this was inspired in part by like an unfinished uh, Edgar Allan Poe short story. Just so, and, so thinly. I actually went down that rabbit. Really? Okay. I, I read the, the short story because uh, Edgar Allan Poe's manuscript, he was working on this when he died, apparently. And it's like, four paragraphs and it's just the basic like well i'm a lighthouse keeper gotta get away from it all and it's like day two and then he just stops writing <laughs> so <laughs> there's really well, not a lot there well it, that I'm, I'm glad that you did that research for us because i i didn't have time to and i was curious but uh, this is all to say i was like patrick i was surfing around that lighthouse on the vibes which is a great <laughs> image and it's just so like it this is what I go to the movies for. This movie has absolutely everything I could ever want. It's so entertaining. It's so well done for what it is. It's so weird, but for me, it was easy both times to just commit to his vision and this experience and just let it wash over me um, and, and have a blast with. So, you know, if he, if he had any like larger ambitions, like, good great for him people can go study this movie you know he said he wanted he wanted you know freud and young to be munching their popcorn watching it you know and have an argument afterward that's cool i i'm i guess i'm simple i didn't i didn't really need any of that deeper subtext to enjoy this i think our next amon shirt needs to say surfing on vibes (laughs) um so Funny bit of trivia for you, maybe. The A24 had a charity auction uh, to benefit a food bank in New York City where they auctioned a whole bunch of uh, props from the lighthouse. You know, they, they auctioned a whole bunch of shit. But they tried, unsold in that auction was the light from the lighthouse, which is six feet tall, four oh. feet wide. 800 pounds burns perfect woman burns (laughs) burns kerosene (laughs) um and i think the starting bid was like 
$50,000 or $100,000 or something. And they were probably hoping that someone would uh, buy it to actually put in a lighthouse because oh, it's as, functional. Far as, as far as I know, it's an actual functional lighthouse wow. lens that like a historical society might want. Um, but Wait, yeah. what was the starting bid? Sorry, my cats. Were starting I, I don't play. remember. I think it was oh, like okay. 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. Oh um, yeah. I was going to say that would have to be expensive because the craft that goes into making those things in real life is insane and they're yeah. gorgeous. It's a beautiful yeah. piece. Oh my and, God. Well, and they included, um, shipping and installation costs into the starting bid um because you gotta move this 800 pound thing and then install it somewhere probably in a lighthouse um but yeah i don't know what happened to that thing there's a chance that they donated it to a lighthouse or something somewhere but it is a it is a real light you know and yeah, it was, it was of- unwanted in the auction no one bought it well no one That's- wanted to, they, they knew the dangers of looking directly into it yeah, it's cursed <laughs> yeah it's sort of amazing to me that they actually built that light like i figured any any lighthouse you go into would have one of those in it already and i assume they shot at least some of this in an actual light did they not just build the whole fucking lighthouse that seems like a very eggers thing to do i mean like the witch they built those houses in the way they would have been built at the time you look at the clothing in this holy shit the sweater action like (laughs) i i fully buy that they built this all from scratch i think they built it but yeah. Well, I feel like we were basically on our way to reviewing it without actually saying view it, cue it, or screw it here. So should we do that and go down to the spoiler room? Yeah, let's do that. Let's start with Steven because I think he already tipped his hand. Oh, I had more than t- I already gave my whole review. <laughs> <laughs> this movie rules. Holy shit. This is like the highest view it. I, I was a little scared to revisit it thinking I might not have as good of a time. You know, I might see some flaws in it. I was completely spellbound all over again. There's just nothing like this. It's a class. I I would say this is a classic. I will call it a horror classic. I'm tired of people pussyfooting, not you guys, but, but the critics at large pussyfooting around the genre. Let's just call it horror. I mean, any horror person I think can find something to enjoy in this, but I know I was shocked people, you know, that I work with, who hopefully don't listen to this podcast too often will ask me, Oh, so what do you, what are you reviewing next week? I was amazed at the number of like people who have pretty normal taste and stuff that said, Oh my God, that was a crazy, they actually went to see it because of the leads. Um, so I like that. It was also able to Trojan horse some weirdness into the cinemas when it came out too. Cause it's got Pattinson and Defoe. It's just, it's awesome. I, I have no complaints. I've already said a lot of nice things about it and uh, we'll probably add some more, uh, praise on the pile in the spoiler room, Patrick. Uh, I mean, second all that, I I also already pretty much called my shot. It's a big view it for me. Uh, again, really liked it the first time, and honestly loved it even more the second time. It kind of flew by too. Um, so I'll just leave it at that because we've already gushed enough. Stephen and I have already gushed enough. But I'm curious what Chris's rating is. I'm going to give it a cue it. Sorry. Uh, I did like it a lot. I thought it was pretty watchable, pretty unique. The craft is all there. Everything you guys said is accurate. It's just, I don't know. It, it, the, it gets so weird seemingly for its own sake that 
I just can't really condone it. It's sort of the caricature of what people think of when they think of an art film. Like, all right, mm-hmm. we're going to have a black and white film. It's going to be shot at a 4-3 aspect ratio. You're not going to be able to understand what anybody's fucking saying. There's going to be two. This movie doesn't pass the Bechtel test. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, not by a long shot. <laughs> this is gonna be this is gonna be two men grumbling to each other in a lighthouse. You're gonna see some shit. You're not gonna under- and then the movie's gonna end and you're not gonna know what the fuck happened. It's sort of the caricature of like the art film that like people are gonna make somebody watch and, and they're gonna they're, they're gonna hate it. Um I didn't hate it. It's just it's it's a hard movie to recommend. I wish that it were like maybe 10% more dialed in, dialed back from, from what it is. Um, but that just might be me going in with the wrong expectations. If I watch it again, I'm sure I will at some point. I don't know how soon that's going to be. But if I watch it again, I'll probably have a little bit of a more uh, uh, appropriate appreciation of it. Um, but cue it. Not bad by any stretch, but um, just just a little hard for me to recommend. Mm. All right. Well, we're going to go to the spoiler room and we're going to talk about all the weird stuff that happens in the lighthouse. Before we do that, let me remind you that we are available on social media at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N, cast, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're also available on Discord. We have a little Discord community where we talk about movies and all sorts of other horror stuff. It's a very fun place to hang out. The link to that is in our show notes. And you can go to everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com and see possibly a directory of some of the movies we've watched and you can buy some stuff. Everybody likes stuff. You can buy some stuff with a every horror movie on Netflix art illustration upon it. So with that said, we're going to go down to the spoiler room and spoil everything about the lighthouse. So check it out now if you want to, or follow us down up, follow us up this time, maybe into the, into the lighthouse tower. And we will spoil everything in just a few seconds. Welcome back. We're up here in the spoiler lantern, getting ready to spoil everything about the lighthouse. And with our film critic, Bob Mondello. Oh boy, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> there is. I want to talk about Mermussy. There's a lot of Mermussy in this. Yeah. Actually, there's right. not. There's like a split second of Mermussy, and yet I split feel like. Second. Wow. <laughs> I feel like that is the defining image. Like, how can how can that not be the one image everyone remembers from this movie? Yeah, they should put that on the poster. I was I was stunned this time around because I felt like it lingered a little more. I felt like I saw more of it, but it's strictly a a, a flash. But you do see a mermaid's vagina or genitals. I don't even know if it's a vagina. If it's a mermaid, maybe they have different parts. Um, I mean, it looks like a vagina. It's but you know. I don't know how to comment. I'm getting myself in trouble. <laughs> it's uh, it's an indelible image. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, tying into our spoilers, there's certainly a, a mermaid who recurs in this movie who may or may not just be a figment of Penson's imagination. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's one spoiler. At least you see a mermaid's it, genitals. 
It's a mermaid. It's not. It's not a good vibes mermaid. There's there's oh, no. more more of a siren sort of thing. It's like stereo. Ariel, that this thing. is not. That thing's gonna. That thing's gonna kill you. Maybe. Um, but let's let's say that the, the sort of the one of the central conflicts in this movie from pretty early on is that Willem Dafoe is the you know haggard, experienced lighthouse keeper who's keeping Pattinson sort of under his thumb, and Willem Dafoe gets to go up into the lantern and take care of the lights, and mm-hmm. Pattinson doesn't get to do that. And that kind of creates some hostility between the two. Well, and you, and when we say gets to, there's no actual like rule system that says this is the case, other than Willem Dafoe says this is the case. He's basically like, I'm the one who gets to go up into the light. You do literally everything else. If you have a problem with it, fuck you. Right. Yeah, and he's got right. the keys, so Pattinson can't get up there if he wants to. Yeah. Right. And Dafoe is also going up there at night and stripping naked and staring into this light for seemingly hours on end. And so there's something weird going on with Defoe in this light. Pattinson wants to, wants to go up there and see what it's all about. And I thought this was one of the most interesting aspects of the movie. And I was, this is the one that sort of got my mind going and and thinking about, you know, what, what this movie might be trying to say or what it might represent. Mm. Um, And I don't know if I, if I don't know if I have a smart theory, but uh, the, the, the first thing that came to mind for me was just like, here you got two guys who are both like working class they don't have a lot going on for them they're both fucking on this rock taking care of a lighthouse for weeks at a time like like they're they're virtually the the stature that defoe has over william pattinson is seniority and it's all kind of it's <laughs> chris it's, why do you keep it's, it's william pattinson william william pattinson you keep saying william pattinson i said william pattinson yeah <laughs> i don't know let's, do, let's all, just say that for the rest of the show it's william I'm all, pattinson and I'm robert all jumbled Defoe. up i'm it's all james patterson <laughs> but like but so so he has like some seniority over pattinson but it's it's kind of arbitrary and like they're they're not really the the arbitrary nature of him not letting him look at this light becomes so important it reminded me of my my favorite scary story to tell in the dark the bed by the window you know what i'm talking about where there's 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 so long story short there's three old guys and they're like in a hospital or a nursing home and one of them has the bed by the window and looks out the window and is always talking about what he sees in the city and then he dies and then the next guy goes in and he sees all the same shit and the third guy's like i gotta fucking look out that window i'm fucking in this room staring at a wall i gotta get over in that bed but i'm only gonna get in that bed when i have the seniority when I kill if I got to kill this guy. So he hides the guy's heart medication. The guy dies in the middle of the night. The killer moves over to the window and he looks out and all he sees is a brick wall. And anyway, I really love that story. It really creeps me out for some reason, but like just that sort of thing where it's like, here's some guys who just sort of like have arbitrarily decided that like 
this is the status symbol, <laughs> like to be able to <laughs> hang out at the light. And so it, it kind of felt like, like something, you know, analogous to, to the things that divide, you know, working class people in, in our society and our, in our time, um, sort of as seen in us also, where you got like the two guys who work at the same company and they're like, damn, he has a <laughs> boat. Uh, his boat's bigger. <laughs> and like all that stuff. Um, just like, who cares about looking in a fucking lantern, but it becomes the most important thing just because he can't do it, you know? Yeah. And I thought that was, that was interesting. Well, and then this, there's definitely some supernatural, almost spiritual power that seems to be associated with the, the lighthouse. I mean, it's not, I don't think it's just an arbitrary sort of status symbol, but there's definitely, there seems to be some power Defoe is soaking up from it almost. And certainly when Pattinson finally makes his way up there at the end, something, some shit happens to him. For yeah. Sure. But it's like, is it re- does it really have magical powers in the text of the movie? Or is that just the mag? is the magic, just the importance that they've assigned to it and uh, possibly filtered through magical realism stuff where metaphors well, become real in this movie. Yeah. I yeah. mean, again, more questions than answers is what, Eggers is trying to create with this but I mean certainly that's a question you can ask about a lot of stuff in this uh, especially because I think uh, you know Pattinson is essentially our protagonist and I think we're seeing I think we're seeing pretty much all of this through his point of view and as he descends into madness there were definitely several things where I was like wait is this actually happening or is this his subjective perception of what's happening you know and it's Mm -hmm. again more questions than answers there's not an answer to that necessarily and there's so much of it, it's hard. It's kind of hard to recap it all because there's just so many different threads, so many different ways that they all go mad. It's all, it's often montaged together in unusual ways. It's right, a trip, but yeah. it's kind of like The Shining. Mm, yeah, I it's can see overtly that. like The Shining at one point, <laughs> but but it's it's the same sort of oh, theme. The axe yeah, chase. The, yeah, there's axe chasing involved. But yeah. just this whole like, oh, we're going to be the caretakers of this place for a season. And, you know, we're gonna, then we're going to be drinking and we're going to go crazy. And, you know, we're going to conjure up all sorts of evil things that may or may not be real. Yeah, so it's kind of like camping with uh, the two of us. <laughs> yeah, this movie really hit close to home. Yeah, in so I, many ways. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there was no mermaid involved. Only if we had, if we had Grays and a mermaid in camping, <laughs> I don't know what we would have done. A mermaid in uh, what's that called? Cricket Lake. Yeah, the Cricket Lake Grays. Sorry, I can't talk about. Them. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, suffice to say, I think that the main sort of plotty things that do happen in this are a big storm rolls in, a gigantic nor'easter that prevents. Uh, Pattinson getting off the island when he was supposed to, which is very bad news for him because he's already basically on his last nerve with Defoe in this entire situation. Uh, and of course, this storm goes on for fucking ever and basically takes up the last half of the movie. Is just them trying to battle out the elements uh, or, or, or sort of wait out the elements. Uh, their rations are destroyed by the water. And so they just start (laughs) drinking so much booze that's been squirreled away. And then they start making booze out of what kerosene and honey or something like that. Yeah, They start mixing up the medicine because they run out of liquor. Yep. Uh, In the meantime, we find out that Pattinson's dark secret is he didn't quite kill a guy, but didn't save a guy that he 
could have saved and has intense guilt about this because he did want to kill the guy, but decided in a crucial moment to just let the dude die. So he's haunted by that. He's now assumed that guy's identity and Mm -hmm. Defoe's kind of secret, which I guess, no, I think this comes up fairly early, right? I don't remember. Is that the, is that Pattinson's predecessor on the Island actually died. And late in the movie, we, we find some evidence that Defoe likely killed him and chopped him up and threw him in lobster traps in the sea. But that's another one of those things where I was kind of like, okay, is it it real or actually seeing this or not? Yeah, exactly. And also at that point, the lines between Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson are becoming blurry. (laughs) Oh yeah. Cause they actually, isn't there a point where they actually speak as each other or call each other by each other's name, something like that, something like that. And then, you know, we see Willem Dafoe chase Robert Pattinson with an ax. And then he quite convincingly tells Robert Pattinson that, no, actually you chased me with the ax. (laughs) And then, you know, there's just this whole thing where it's like their, their, their current conditions, their interests, their, their pastimes, their histories, their names, their attitudes are all melding together uh, by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, and they have the same name. We should Mm -hmm. maybe point out too. Um, at least at that point, at that, <laughs> it's at like, that point. and at that point, it's just they're both unreliable narrators at that point. So yes. we don't know what the fuck's going on. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're unreliable. Everything. They're, they're so drunk. I mean, they almost kiss at one point, which is. Oh, there weird. is homoeroticism in this movie. There is gay panic in this oh, That's movie. a good scene. Yeah, it's a great scene. And I wouldn't even say. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of gay panic, but there is kind of a kind of a mutual affection between these two, I think, over over the course of the movie that may be genuine. That they're, they're fighting inwardly themselves. Sure, yeah. There I, there's I, definitely affection, but it goes back and forth so often. The characters mm-hmm. as as individuals and as a duo, like the dynamic between them is so just volatile that, you know, yeah, they go from sitting around embracing each other drunk as fuck telling each other stories to you know moments later trying to beat the shit out of each other for some minor transgression it's just very very volatile well one of the themes is is clearly masculinity i'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure what its thesis is about masculinity but that's a that's a thread in the movie all the way down to the phallic lighthouse and what i took away from that stuff is just that like you know there's there's it's it's not socially acceptable, largely in our society, and then probably certainly in, you know, whatever the hell decade this takes place in. The only way that 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 men are allowed to be close to each other is fighting each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So th- we have these two people who, like, the the love and the violence are always dancing with each other because it's it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that comes to I mean that's illustrated no better than when they're literally about to kiss and then they like push each other away and start boxing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little on the nose, but mm-hmm. I'm glad it was on the nose because I might not have picked up what they were putting down if it were more subtle. So because I'm not smart. <laughs> so. Uh. But yeah, Pattinson eventually gets the upper hand over Defoe, buries, seems to bury him alive in a truly horrifying scene. This was another image yeah. that really stuck Jesus. with me from the first time around is like Defoe has been so beaten up at this point that he 
it like it just lays in the hole while Pattinson shovels dirt on top of him and goes on another one of his fucking god tier monologues of which Defoe has many in this movie. And you just it's a close up of his face and he's like literally swallowing dirt. I thought about this both times. I was like, what were they shoving? Like, I really hope they were shoveling like brownie crumbs into his mouth or something. Um, because he gets a lot of fucking dirt in his mouth. It's hard to watch. There's a lot of stuff. Like we were just talking about um, when when they start boxing. I mean, that looked so real to me. Those first couple of blows that this time around, I actually was like worried that Pattinson might have broken one of Defoe's ribs or something with that mm. first punch. Um, mm. It's all done. I mean, Robert Eggers, master of of uh, uh, of realism and period pieces, and even those the, those little things just. Uh, yeah, carry so much weight that I, I worried about the well-being of people on set. I'm sure they were fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's quickly revealed that even though DeVoe seems to be buried, he returns very soon after. Wait, what happens then? He comes back with the axe and... He comes back with an axe and he... he the axe has already been established because DeFoe started yeah. to chop up the little boat that yeah. he, that Pat- mm-hmm. Pattinson was trying to escape the island on. And then he yeah. gets buried alive. And then Pattinson is going about his business doing other things. I, he's either drinking or he's working on getting up into the lantern. Something like that. Oh, yeah, because he's stolen the keys at this point. And DeFoe jump scares him and basically hits him in the shoulder with an axe. But then... He is overpowered, and he is killed by Pattinson. Yeah, Pattinson oh yeah, Pattinson just grabs face. the axe. Yeah, and this is like the third time too. that he's done because even before he got buried alive, they have a just a blowout fight in the flooded lighthouse station. At which point, Pattinson's seeing the mermaid. He's seeing tentacles. He's seeing birds. He's seeing the guy he killed in the forest. He's seeing all kinds of shit. That's being He's seeing Defoe as like Triton or Poseidon or something right. like that. Yeah. Right. So what's that all mean? I don't know, but it's it's a it's a visual spectacle. But mm-hmm. he finally seems to conclusively kill Defoe. He goes up to the lighthouse and sees Gazes some shit. upon its beauty. Yeah. We don't really know exactly what he finds in it. He seems to love it at first and then to be horrified and and scream and falls down the fucking steps and it, it's like seagulls picking his carcass while he's yeah. still like moving. He's still alive. <laughs> oh, <laughs> is he? I didn't notice too. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's still oh, alive. Wow. Oh, and he's damn. got seagull shit all over him, which also yeah. looks kind of like cum, which is a thing in this movie too. It's just, there's a lot. Oh going yeah. In there. there is a lot of cum in this movie. Damn. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. What, but what does it all mean? What's it all mean? I don't know. And here's the thing. Thought experiment. If you if you watch this movie and it said at the end it said directed by Eli Roth, how would you feel? <laughs> I'd be like, good for you, Eli Roth. Wow, okay, you really leveled up. How did you feel, Chris, when you saw maybe you didn't see that Chris Columbus produced this movie? <laughs> the Chris Columbus? Yes. Yes. I, I think I remember I seem to remember from when this came out that he was like kind of crucial in getting this movie made. Huh. The director well, he, alone, he knows folks. some things about I don't know. I was gonna make a home alone <laughs> joke. <laughs> like they're almost home alone in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's your movie. That's your movie. And it's it's like I just feel like we're kind of doing a disservice by not really drilling down into it more, but 
like I said, there's just so much going on in such a nonsensical fashion. And yeah. we don't, none of us know what it's trying to say. It's more questions than answers. So it's hard to really talk definitively about it other than to just say how it made us feel. Certainly is it, interesting. It is. Chris, um, a little disappointed in you. I don't think I've, yeah. I don't think I've heard you mention the aspect ratio once. I was going to say, no, he did. He did very briefly. Oh, yeah, when, he, when he was and, saying it was like your stereotypical art house movie. But I do okay, wonder okay. how you felt about the aspect ratio. Um, well, I, I liked it. I think, I don't know if it was four, three, or if it was like one seventeen or whatever the fuck, but you know, it's, it's a square aspect ratio. Um, yeah. I thought what I liked and I, I don't know, I don't think this was intentional, but especially coming off of watching the mummy, I thought it did a very good job of like looking like an old Universal Studios movie. Um, yeah. You know, it's very square and it's black and white, but the contrast and the lighting and the production design give it a, a very distinct look that even goes beyond, you know, because it's not that unusual to see a movie that's, you know, a square aspect ratio or in black and white, but this looks like a movie from a different time. It looks like you know, Frankenstein or something. And I thought that was very cool. I thought the cinematography was some of the best I've ever seen. I was relieved to see that this got an Academy award for cinematography or it got the nomination. I'm sorry. It got got nominated. Uh, Cause if it wasn't nominated, I was gonna, I was going to go mad. Like the guy in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's stunningly beautiful. And I, I, I would hazard a guess though. I'd have to do some research that this was probably meant to look like the photographic capabilities of the era it was set in. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was set in a time where we could, at, where people could at least take photographs, film photographs, mm-hmm. and and I have to wonder if that isn't kind of uh, the the dimensions that were common at the time. It really does mm-hmm. feel like that's kind of what's ported back in time, though. Yeah, that was kind of what it struck me as being either the dimensions of like old old film old old movies or old photographs yeah yeah but uh, i do prefer the two one aspect ratio that we saw in killing of a sacred deer Hmm. that's my favorite aspect ratio (laughs) i didn't mention that last episode Hmm. i think we need uh, an offshoot podcast called chris's favorite aspect (laughs) (laughs) and i'll Um, I'll guess just to cheer you on because i I love hearing about it but no it looks great and then i don't know i watched it on blu-ray i don't know what you guys did but uh yeah it it has you did watch it on blu-ray i did yes fantastic because i was thinking the whole time i was watching it the 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 noise pattern in this thing probably translates Mm -hmm. terribly on streaming so i'm glad i watched it on on blu-ray it lost the uh, cinematography to Roger Deakins in 1917, which it's Deakins, right. man. All right, it's, 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 cin- it's a cinematography podcast time. Here's my opinion on that: Roger Deakins, one of the greatest cinematographers to ever do it. That might be his first Oscar. He has two. All right, let's see. He has. He has a. Uh, He's famously snubbed over the years, right? Famously snubbed yeah. over the years. Okay, so okay, so he won for Blade Runner 2049. And then he won again for 1917. So that's good. He needs laurels. He should have won Academy Awards for probably six to ten more movies than that earlier in his career. I haven't seen 1917, but I, yeah. as I understand it, it's one of these long take movies. Right. Oh yeah, yeah. That pisses me off, man. I don't like that. I don't like the gimmick. 
I don't think that's good cinematography. I think it's 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 you know it's the criticism they say of every category at the Oscars. It's not the best. It's the most. Not best acting. It's most acting. Not it's a best stunt. Now. Yeah, it's, a it's stunt. kind of a stunt, but it's fucking hard to do well. I imagine. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I light like something like that. Well, the maybe, camera's moving. Maybe well, I should it's a, watch the movie. <laughs> it's a fake. It's a fake long take movie, though. Like, I mean, it's it's it has it's like Birdman. It has the appearance. Well, most of, of them are one take. Yeah. It is not actually one take, though. I'm sure the cinematography in that movie is great. It just is it a is. little sad for me to see something so unique like this lose to a movie that has a gimmick behind the cinematography. Although I, mean, I guess whatever. I guess we, if it were the other way around, you could say this is a gimmick too, right? So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. We well, and I mean, your first mistake is caring about who gets an Oscar. I was going like, to say, that's true. This was nominated, so it's going to reach a wider audience, probably, or did because yeah. it was in the conversation, the public conversation more. But like, who who gives a shit? The Oscars are bullshit. They're usually way off. Yeah, well, we I need to talk about talk a spinoff about. podcast. We could talk about the shortcomings <laughs> of the Academy and their terrible middle of the road taste for you know years, and people have already. So, so are you excited then, Patrick, uh, for the upcoming Nosferatu by Robert Eggers? I am, of course. Yes, I'm I mean, so. He's, ex- he's been he's been cooking on that one for a long time. He's been teasing that for a long time. He's the- been teasing that. I mean, I I I could be wrong. Internet. Call me out, but I think that was announced in like locked in before this got made. That yeah. was going to be his follow up to The Witch, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But now it seems like there's, well, I mean, there's the strike, um, and maybe A24 can get around that with a waiver, but it seems like it's actually going to happen now with uh, Bill Skarsgård, I would assume, playing Nosferatu. Isn't Defoe? I thought Defoe was playing Nosferatu. Oh, even better. No, it's Bill Skarsgård as Nosferatu. Willem Dafoe as Professor Alvin Eberhardt von Franz. Oh, okay. Who the whoever that, that is? I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know the Dracula legend well enough to know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that'll be fun. Have either of you seen The Northman? Still no. haven't. Sadly, no. Well, I guess we're gonna have to have a movie night for that, huh? Guess I so. mean, we have a podcast where we could somebody could select <laughs> that as a movie to review. Is it a twenty-four? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. It's not really horror, though. It looks brutal as hell, though. I mean, and it's got some... I've seen clips from it, and like it's got some pretty dark fantasy elements to it, it looks like. Uh, The Northman is not A24. Wow, I'm stunned. Mm. Sorry. He went commercial. Well, I hope it comes to (laughs) Netflix, if we're allowed to say that out loud. Mm. Hopefully we're cutting out, like... 50% 50% the last like 20 minutes <laughs> we're just wrong can, about can, everything can we, we yeah also I feel like we're just bullshit and can we land this plane <laughs> all right well what the hell are we watching next time Patrick right yeah Patrick's turn to pick yes I was trying to decide between two and I decided to go with the more deranged choice of the two we are going yeah. to be watching Gaspar Noe's I think that's how you pronounce his yeah. name yeah you're correct. Climax. Oh, good. Because I need to be forced to watch a Gaspar Noe movie. <laughs> That's the only way it's going to happen. But oh, I've heard good things about this one. Have you not seen anything of his? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I've seen oh, Irreversible. Oh, okay. yeah, I actually yeah. love Irreversible, even though it's yeah. horrific to sit through. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Climax in the theater. Um, I guess I'll reveal early that I, I did love it. I mean, I'm not going to pull any punches on that, but it is a it's an experience, and I want to 
talk to people about it because I don't really know much of anyone else who's seen it. So looking well, forward cool. to discussing yeah. it with, with my buddies. That sounds fun. Wow. I don't I think I've ever heard of this. The film. It's a, it's a time steal yourself. <laughs> cool. Sounds good. Well, that'll be in two weeks. We'll be watching climax, the a 24 film on Blu-ray. Oh, and uh, coincidentally, Chris, it stars our modern day mommy, Sophia Butella. Perfect. Is Tom Cruise in it? Mm, no, <sighs> I, don't, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think Tom would uh, would quite get into this vibe. Although I don't mm. know, Tom. Tom, I'll give him credit. He's done a few dark things. I don't. Nothing this dark though. All right, all right. So that'll be in two weeks. As um, like I said before, catch up with us on social media or on Discord if you can't get enough of us and you want to reach out sometime in that next two weeks. But otherwise, we will see you then. We'll be watching Climax. For every horror movie or every A24 movie on Blu-ray, <laughs> I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. And I've, as always, been Steve. See you later. See you later.